Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You're now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. My Bob and I rise by, and I'm right away go. We invade the airwaves. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Indeed, indeed. Tell a friend to tell a friend because we're live on the airways right now. And ladies and gents, there's so much to get to. Uh, first and foremost, we weren't able to do a show last week because of the inclement weather. I mean, we had windstorms. I didn't think that was even possible in southern Ontario. But nonetheless, it knocked out a lot of the power. A lot of the transportation was delayed. So it kind of prevented me from coming downtown. So my apologies for that. But nonetheless, we are back in the on the air right now in studio. Uh, but like I just said, we have a lot to get to tonight, man. We got to talk about Childish Gambino and This Is America video that he just released. Also, a lot of the chatter that has gone with us since then about him talking about a pro-black message yet dating interracially. Also, we got to talk about the black nerd complex, something that I've never really discussed before on air, and I'm kind of surprised I haven't, especially with how long I've been doing the show. But I'm finally going to go into it because I think it's something that needs to be discussed, and I think a lot of people within the black community can relate to it but don't really open up about it as much. Uh, on top of that, I'm going to give you guys an Infinity War review. Spoilers ahead. I'm letting you know, guys, I'm letting you guys know right now. If you've not seen it, we will be discussing spoilers. So... You have been warned. And on top of that, man, I got my Wanks of the Week, which kind of ties into the main topic of the day, which is the whole interracial dating thing and what have you. So stay tuned for that. But before I get into any of that, you guys already know how I do at the beginning of the show. I got some stuff to get off my chest, some grievances, if you will. So on that note, it's time to let that dish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. So for those of you guys who are tuning in right now, make sure you guys pass this link on to anyone who wants to listen in. It's MaximumFM.ca, of course. Make sure you pass that link on. Therefore, they can get into the discussion as well. Now, what I want to talk about, and boy, oh, boy, when I say I got some stuff to get off my chest, boy, I mean it. Um, We got to talk about the Toronto Raptors. Oh, boy, this is... It still hurts, still hurts, still hurts. So, as you guys already know, the Raptors got swept once again by the Cavaliers two years in a row that this has happened now. And the city is not happy, clearly. The basketball community is up in arms. We are irate. Um, There's a lot of people saying, blow it up, blow up now. A lot of people are saying, see, same old Raptors, da-da-da-da, I told you guys. You know, this is why I don't, uh, don't get my hopes up to them. Um, And then there's a lot of people calling for certain players to get traded or to get fired, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people were calling for a total rebuild and a teardown of the entire franchise. And I told people, no, it doesn't make sense to do that, especially from a financial standpoint when you've already invested this amount of money into guys like Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. And those contracts aren't really that movable because, A, there's not really a a market for point guards right now because all the point guards are pretty much situated. And, B, based on uh, Ibaka's inconsistent play this year so far, thus far, especially within the playoffs, nobody really wants to touch him, even though he's not even 30 yet. But that's another story for another day. Main reason why you don't want to tear this down is because for back-to-back years, 
like three years in a row now, you've been that close. And the common denominator in all three of those years of you being knocked out of the playoffs has been LeBron James. And they're not the only team to have suffered the wrath of LeBron James. We're talking Brooklyn. We're talking Indiana. We're talking Atlanta. We're talking Boston. So many teams have come across LeBron James within the last seven years, eight years now, and they've suffered his wrath. Like literally Thanos, (laughs) sorry, LeBron is Thanos right now, and he has the Infinity Gauntlet. doesn't matter on which hand it is because he'll still smack the hell out of whatever team that comes across his way, and he'll snap his fingers like this, and he'll wipe out half of the Eastern Conference. And I literally think he's actually wiped out half of the Eastern Conference. I don't have the exact numbers right now, but there's 15 teams in each conference, so that means that only eight of those teams make the playoffs, and the other seven are sitting out watching from TV. So if we count seven as the benchmark, as the halfway point, then technically he's wiped out half of the Eastern Conference year after year. I mean, there's been Toronto. There's been Atlanta. There's been Indiana. There's been Boston. There's been Chicago. There's been Brooklyn, like I just mentioned. Um, there's been Philly. He knocked out Philly once. That's seven right there. That is seven teams, ladies and gentlemen. That is seven teams. I know seven and is in half of 15. I know that. But just for the sake of this analogy, of this pop culture-friendly analogy, let us just say that LeBron James is Thanos, and he has wiped out half of the Eastern Conference just like that, easily. So he has done that. So I don't feel as though Raptors fans should be that hard on the team. Yes, I know this was supposed to be the year. LeBron James was at his weakest that we've seen in recent years as far as his personnel is concerned, what he's gone through the entire year as far as personnel change. But he's an all-time great, and he makes those around him that much better. And it sucks because a team like Indiana, who had no business being in the playoffs, was able to push LeBron James to the brink of elimination to seven games, and we couldn't even get one. Now, what I found interesting was uh, after LeBron James and the Cavaliers had beaten the Raptors, he had said how because he's faced the Raptors so often in the playoffs now, he's familiar with their game plan, whereas with Indiana, they didn't know what to expect. So they were somewhat of a wild card in that regard. But with Toronto, he knew what to expect, and he knew how to take over the game. And he imposes will on the Raptors. And the thing that sucks about this entire situation is that they were scared. Like, you can't tangibly see it or measure it when you're watching it for yourself, but you know that they're scared because how they played against the Cavaliers is not how they played against Washington. It's not how they played against Milwaukee last year. It's not how they played against Indiana or Miami uh, two years ago. They're scared of LeBron. Think about it. Every team that they've played against within the last three years, not named the Cleveland Cavaliers, they've beaten. So what's a common denominator in all of this? LeBron James. He's an unstoppable force in the Eastern Conference. And it literally takes three or four All-Stars to band together to go and beat him to win a title. Cough, cough, Golden State. So what does that tell you? He's an all-time great. He's top five easily. Maybe even top three, I would say. But nonetheless, one of the things that he did say, like I just mentioned, was the fact that he knew to expect. He knew their game plan. And that kind of leads back to Dwayne Casey. And for those of you who do not know, well, I'm sure you know by now if you're in the sports realm, but as of today, Dwayne Casey has been relieved of his duties as the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. So in other words, he's been fired. So one of the criticisms about Dwayne Casey that people have made that I've made in the past, I'll be honest, is the fact that his, his play calling can be somewhat predictable at times. And, he, and sometimes he doesn't know how to make a switch in the lineup 
when he needs to at that very moment. He'll leave it in for a little too long, let it bleed a little bit. But once it, started, once it starts to get out of hand, then he'll decide to make that switch. And on top of that, when it comes to defending against the Cleveland Cavaliers, I'm not sure if his words aren't falling on the ears of his players. I don't know if his players aren't executing it properly, or I don't know if it's just his play calling at the end of the day. But whenever they play against the Cleveland Cavaliers, their perimeter defense is abysmal, to say the least. They have guys open on, on the wing, on the elbow. You have J.R. Smith catching fire, Kyle Korver catching fire. These guys aren't willing to run around the screens or run through them or or weave through them or any type of way to kind of get to those open knockdown shooters. But it burns them. It constantly burns them. And that's one of the major ways of how they were able to get back into that game, uh, game one. So... You've got to make those adjustments. You've got to make those adjustments. Now, in regards to Dwayne Casey and him being fired, in past years, specifically last year and 2015, I've made the case that, yeah, you should let go of this coach and go to somebody else and see how they fare you know, with the squad. But this year, I, it's hard to make the argument to say that he should be fired because of the fact that he did so many good things for this team regular season and early portion of the postseason. He got these guys to commit to a new style of play. He himself committed to a new style of play. Maybe he wasn't all for it, but after all these years where he saw that the formula that they were using prior wasn't working, which was just ISO, 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 him, Masai Ujiri, all the other assistant coaches decided, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't working. We need to try something new or else it's going to be the same result year in and year out. And what did they do? They changed their style. They were more pass first. They were shooting more perimeter shots. Their bench depth was a lot deeper this time around. And all in all, it got them to the number one spot in the Eastern Conference. Best record in franchise history. First time getting the number one seed in franchise history. And they had the third best overall record in the league. Or was it second best? I think it was second best, actually, because they had a better record than Golden State. Anyway, the point is they made all those improvements, all those changes. They're a top-five offense and top-five defense, and it was to the point where they're even getting recognition from the American media. Now, again, I've said in, in past years I don't care for the validation of the American media uh, sites, but at the end of the day, when they're noticing, especially when you consider the fact that they don't really televise a lot of the Canadian games because you know different, different factions, you know, FCC versus CRTC and what have you, that shows you something. That really shows you something at the end of the day. So I think what it comes down to as far as Casey being fired, somebody had to take the fall. You know, somebody had to be the scapegoat, and unfortunately it was Casey. Now, a lot of people are alluding to the fact that him benching DeMar DeRozan for the final 14 minutes of Game 3 in a pivotal Game 3 that went tooth and nail, that may have been the nail in the coffin. Um, and then that final game against the, against the Cavs where they got blown out by, like, what, 30 or 40 points or something like that, that was probably also the final nail in the coffin as well. There was no fight in, in that team. By the end of the first half, they were down by 16, and it was murder she wrote at that point. So it kind of sucks that despite what Dwayne Casey has done throughout the entire year, he's kind of getting the short end of the stick. You could almost see it coming at the end of the day, though, because they're not going to get rid of DeRozan. That's their franchise guy. They've already invested so much money in Lowry and, and Ibaka and the rest of their core. So something had to give. Like You couldn't have the same people come in for the next season. Now, mind you, they could have waited and, you know, let's see what the offseason has in store, make some trades here and there, and go from there. But because of the type of climate that we're in right now, everything is, what have you done for me lately? We need to make changes now. And I guess this is one of the changes that they had to make. At least 
if they were going to fire him down the line, like in, say, June or July or something like that, at least them doing it now gives Casey a chance to go and look at some potential suitors because let's let it be known. He is, by and large, going to win the NBA Coach of the Year Award. He's already won the award from the Players Association. I don't see why he doesn't win it for the main league now, like the main award itself. If not him, it'll probably be Brad Stevens, but I see Casey winning that award hands down. So with that in mind and what he's done with with the Raptors organization, he's going to get a job. I don't know with what team. I don't know if it's going to be a team that's on the up and up, a team that's kind of struggling right now, that's trying to get to that point in like three or four years down the line. But at the end of the day, he's going to get a job. So I guess if they were going to let him go, it's best that they do it now so that he can get situated, you know, um, by midsummer, if anything. So. Even though I haven't been the biggest fan of Casey, I've had somewhat of a love and hate relationship. At the end of the day, I'm not going to disrespect the man that he is, the man behind the coach, because I've seen him in interviews. I've seen him in the Open Gym docuseries. He's a consummate professional. He, I've never seen this guy act uncouth or, or, or misbehave in any certain way. Like He's a guy who cares about the sport of basketball, and he cares about his, about the, the players and the coaches that, that work alongside with him. So... Honestly, I do wish him the best of luck, despite me not being the biggest fan of him at times. But I honestly do wish him the best of luck at, in whichever team he decides to coach or if he doesn't want to coach anymore. I mean, that's entirely up to him. But knowing the kind of basketball mind that he is, he's definitely going to continue coaching. So I do wish him the best. And going forward with this Raptors team, I mean, this is just the first of many steps that they need to take going forward into the um, into the new season. Um, I think as far as who their best choices are right now, I think they should keep everything in-house just so they can maintain that same style of play and also that rapport with the players as well. So a lot of people are saying that uh, Nick Nurse is the next man up as far as, getting the co- as far as getting the coaching job because he is the lead assistant coach of the team. But I would much prefer to have Jerry Stackhouse take the helm of the head coach of the Toronto Raptors mainly because <clears throat> he was a part of that system that they that they built. He's been using that system for the last couple of years now with the Raptors 9-5 squad, which is a major reason why the bench unit produced, produced the way that they produced over the entirety of the year because of the fact that they are already well acclimated with that system because they're all graduates of the 9-5 squad in a sense, minus C.J. Miles, of course. Um, and most importantly, and I think this is kind of a wild card over here, but Jay Sackhouse is a former player. He's a former all-star. And that automatically gives you the respect of your of your players because of the fact that they know that you've been in the trenches before. You've played the game before. You know how the game works. So I think Sackhouse would be the perfect fit in that in that role. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and then going forward, I say they they trade for another star because in today's NBA climate, especially, you need three stars to win the title. Two may not even cut it, depending on how well of a supporting cast you have, but you need at least three. You need three. I mean, look at the Golden State Warriors. They needed four. They needed a fourth star just so they can ensure victory at the hands of the LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that just goes to show that you need that star power. Who do they go for? My guess is they're either – I'm not going to say what players. We already know who's kind of available on the open market as far as who wants to trade or who's a free agent. And even in the free agent situation, they'll probably orchestrate a sign-and-trade scenario. But my guess is they're either going to go for a wing defender who's also a two-way, a two-way specialist or they're going to go for a man in the middle. So 
who knows what, what's going to happen. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens. I know this Messiah is a, is a very good uh, decision maker, so I trust what he's going to do going forward. But what do you guys think? Should Messiah have gotten fired? Or sorry, should Dwayne Casey have gotten fired? Should he have kept his job? Let me know. Hit me up in the comments section. Uh, hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC on multiple platforms and let me know your thoughts. Coming up after the break, we got to get into Childish Gambino. We got to talk about the This Is America video, but we also got to talk about some of the unnecessary backlash that he's been getting in regards to him dating somebody outside of his race, yet having pro black views um, as constituted in his latest video, as well as the black nerd complex as well within popular culture in North America. Before we get to that, <clears throat> pardon me, we got to get to some music. So this one comes by way of my boy, Everything Ocean, and this one's called Winnebago, and it's only on Cool Radio. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. Once again, that was my man, Everything Ocean with Winnebago. That's a dope record right there, I tell you. Shout out to uh, Everything Ocean. I got to get you back on the show, my friend. Uh, but nonetheless, let's get into the main topic of tonight's broadcast. So I want to talk about Childish Gambino, This is America, and what it means to be black all right so let's start with the basics so this guy released a new video called this is america and the moment he pushed upload this video went viral okay so this is in conjunction with him hosting saturday night live uh last saturday and this video caught fire immediately everyone was praising it for its metaphorical messages the way uh, he was depicting um, the issues happening within black America and how black people are targets, whether it's through police, through, uh, police brutality, uh, gun violence, et cetera, et cetera, you name it. And there's so many intricacies within the video that people kind of picked up afterwards. So, for example, whenever a gun was used in the video, the moment he was done with the gun, he would pass it off to somebody who kind of wrapped it up in like somewhat of like a red handkerchief, uh, kind of de displaying the care that you know, the higher powers have for um, guns rather than the care that they would have for people. So that's one aspect. And then there's another aspect where in the background you see death riding on a white horse with hell chasing it, hell being the police uh, car. And that's actually a Bible verse taken from the Old Testament as well. So he made that metaphor come to life in the video. But we don't see the – we don't really notice that specifically the first time around we see the video because of the fact that – in the main frame, you see Gambino dancing with a bunch of like high school students and doing like the most popular dances and stuff like that because it's another way to explain how we're all caught up in what's popular in pop culture and what's the latest craze and what's the latest fad, et cetera, et cetera. So that kind of devolves our attention away from what's really happening in the background, which is the dismantling of the black community by law enforcement, by by crime etc etc so i thought that was a well put together video and it's debatably the best video of the year thus far i remember way back in february i said all the stars video with kendrick and SZA was the best video of the year and it would be until the end of the year but this one right here is giving it a run for its money and it's two completely different videos one video celebrates Afrocentricity in the highest order, you know, from a cultural standpoint, like a, like a roots cultural standpoint, coming from the root of Africa. Whereas another video is talking about 
the dismantling of black culture through means of drugs, violence, sex, and entertainment. So it's almost like a clash of styles in a sense. Not to say that people would compare the two videos, but these are my two favorite videos of the year thus far that have tons of replay value and it comes from two of my favorite artists that are currently out right now so shout outs to kendrick and shout outs to gambino for this song of course now sticking with gambino unfortunately he caught unnecessary backlash so there were a, a group of people on social media i don't know what the numbers were but there were people criticizing gambino on social media because of the fact that he put out a quote-unquote woke song and video to accompany it all the meanwhile you know, being with a white woman. And this is something that's always been a plague in the black community in terms of social standards and what have you. Like, is it right to date outside the black community? Or if you date outside the black community, are you can you consider yourself pro-black or woke? Now, I'm going to go deeper into detail with that later on in the show. But really what I want to focus on specifically is, you know, black nerdism as well because one person put up a post uh on social media no don't know who this person is uh, but basically they said you know all these people all these women who are mad at childish gambino um he's not the kind of guy that you would date because he's in the nerdy slash weird box basically and like a lot of black guys who are in that box don't really get noticed by black women for the most part so I don't want to generalize it because there are some black women that he would appeal to, but being the black, nerdy, weird person, whether you're a man or a woman, has never really been the most popular of boxes or categories to be in, especially as a young adolescent growing up or even you know, just a shade off your adolescence going into your college years, depending on what your situation looks like. So one of my good friends... Uh, who goes by the name of Jay Kareem. You guys are well familiar with him if you guys have followed the show and the program. Shout out to my man Jay Kareem. West End coming soon, you already know. Um, he made a very enlightening post about you know black nerdism within the black community in terms of the spectrum of pop culture. So I don't have the exact um, uh, quote that he said, but generally what he said was, we have to, dis- we have to define, or sorry, we have to redefine what, black culture means within North America, essentially. Because at the end of the day, black nerds, male and females, they always get left out of the conversation. So it's not necessarily black people who are pushing them out. It's black culture that's pushing them out because black culture within the pop culture spectrum doesn't deem black nerds as cool or chic or in or whatever. At the end of the day, when it comes to pop culture, the norm has always been... Um, somebody who's hypersexualized or or just like overly uh, machoistic in a sense. So basically, when it comes to the men, it's the thugs, the ballers, the pimps, the drug dealers. And when it's the women, it's the Instagram baddies, it's the bad bitches, the thoughts, whatever you want to call them. The people who are hyper aggressive, the ones who are always looking for confrontation, that is what's necessarily been pushed to the narrative as far as the forefront of popular black culture. And if you don't fit in that, or at least within the peripheral of that, then not only is that not cool, but then at the same time, your blackness also gets also comes into question. And I and I always found that to be highly unfair to say the least, because being black is a multitude of different things. Like, black people 
aren't just one monolithic group that do the same thing and act the same way and think the same thoughts. At the end of the day, blackness can be defined in so many different parallels and paradigms. So I think what this comes down to is there should be acceptance amongst people who are in who are within that black nerd category and a lot of the people who are in that black nerd uh, category they don't necessarily get to date people within their community because at the end of the day sometimes black people can be their own worst enemies in the sense that they're always worried about the standard or the status quo or whether they're fitting in or not and if they and if they're attached to anything or anyone that deviates from the status quo then they don't want to be put into into question as far as their black card is concerned now mind you i'm sure people grow out of that by the time they graduate from high school or maybe when they hit their mid-20s or whatever the case may be. But there's some people who are still trapped in that box, and that's just another form of mental slavery in a sense. So I think that's why a lot of uh, people in the black community who fit into that nerd category, whether it be male or female, I think that's one of the reasons why they date outside of the community because they've probably had so many attempts after so many attempts of trying to date somebody within the community, and they just aren't accepted because their interests don't align with what black pop culture wants them to be aligned with. And that's one of the major reasons why people just end up dating outside the race and say, you know what, I gave it a try. I still find black people attractive at the end of the day, but I keep bumping into the ones who don't see my viewpoint over and over again. Let me see what's on the other side of the fence, so to speak, which is why some people end up dating outside the race. So not to say that, they're looking to do it in spite of other black people. Because if you do that, then that's also kind of like an omen on you to say, hey, like I shouldn't demean my own race because of A, B, and C. But at the same time, you also have to take into consideration that if you are somebody who requires companionship and you feel like going inside your own race for that is what's expected of you, but no one is giving you the time of day in that regard – then what are you to do at that point? You can't just say, well, I can't date, inside, I can't date anyone inside my community. I guess that's it. That's a wrap. I gave it all, the, old, the good old college try. No, you're going to look elsewhere. And there's nothing wrong with looking for love outside of your community. As long as you're dating that person for love and for companionship and you want to grow something, you want to grow and build something with them, there's nothing wrong with that. They just so happen to be of a different background, and that's totally fine. As long as it's for noble reasons, then go for it. Like No one should dictate to you who you should date inside or outside your community. If you prefer to date inside your community, that's totally fine. But don't denigrate someone who, who prefers to do it outside their community. Like, that's their choice. That's their prerogative. That's what they've stuck with. And at the same time, it also depends on geography as well. Where did they grow up? What was their upbringing like? When they were in their early to mid-teens and what have you, what was the climate like? Were they trying to date other black people as well? And if so, were they judged for it? Also, let's take into consideration that even though there are black nerds you know, all over the place, male and female, sometimes they just don't find each other. Why? Because they've spent so much time trying to find somebody within their community who thinks the same way they do, but they're obviously on the, on the different end of the spectrum because of pop culture, and that kind of leads them on to date people outside of their community. But by the time they may find somebody in their community that shares those same views and thoughts, chances are they're probably already dating somebody else at that point. So it just becomes an issue of timing and the, and the, and the misalignment of it. 
So I think that's something that people really have to take into consideration. But a lot of people don't want to take that into consideration because they're just not open to the fact that that could possibly happen to somebody. Um, so with Gambino, what I find very interesting is that the people who are talking about Gambino and talking about him you know, being a sellout or questioning his black card and what have you, the joke is this is something that he's talked about for at least seven years now through his music. I mean, he once said a line said, I'm really, he's like, he said a line basically stating, um, I'm down with the sisters, but I don't think that they're into me. And then that was a callback to his upbringing. Like he grew up in a, in a middle-class neighborhood in Stone Mountain, Georgia, which I guess is a black suburb um, near the Atlanta area. So basically he talked about his upbringing and how, you know, black girls weren't really into him because he didn't really fit that mold per se of, of what it means to be black in that spectrum. And that unfortunately grew with him. So he decided to date, you know, outside of his community. But he also did state that earlier on he wasn't really willing to date white women either because of the politics that comes with it, the politics of dealing with the backlash of, of you know, black people in general about being a sellout and what have you. But he wasn't able to date black people either because they weren't really feeling him. So at one point in time, he had an affinity for Asian women because it was in between. You And I guess for him, no one could really say anything because he's not dating a white girl, so that's not taboo. And he's not able to date black women, so he'll just find something in the middle. Those are his words. I'm paraphrasing, mind you, but that was his statement at one point in time. Now, that was a long time ago, so since then, he's clearly grown from that, and he's clearly grown as a, as a free thinker, and he wants to love fearlessly, you know, as indicated by some of the pictures that we've seen on social media. It looks like he has a girlfriend or a wife that clearly looks pregnant and expecting, so good for him. Um, at the end of the day, no one should be denigrated for that. No one at all should be denigrated for dating outside their community, and I feel like there is a place within um within society really for black nerds to congregate essentially like there should be but at the same time if they prefer to date outside their community then we shouldn't judge them for that as long as there's no ignorant intent behind it that's okay but at the end of the day don't go and judge this person and say oh look at you you dating a white girl or look at you you dating a white man now when in hindsight you had no interest to begin with in the first place when it comes to that particular person and that's one thing i hate about some of these people outside in society right now that they'll judge somebody for dating outside the community when you know damn well that you had no interest for that person at all so why are you now making a big fuss out of it what just because that you know you see them on tv now or they're doing it big in movies i mean prime example winston duke the uh the actor who played umbaku in black panther caught a serious ton of flack uh because of the fact that you know he was now seen with a woman who's half white and half asian but at the same time you guys weren't checking for him. You weren't checking for him at all. Like, I I did not hear one black woman say, oh, my gosh, Mbaku is the greatest ever, et cetera, et cetera. So why are these contingents of black women getting mad at him? Mind you, it wasn't all black women. It was only just a few here and there. But nonetheless, why the backlash? Same thing for Michael B. Jordan. And, and you know what? And at the same time, you look at an actress like Zoe Zaldana, you know, going to the, the woman's point of view. She's been someone who's been dating, you know, um, white actors or not white actors, just white men in general, you know, growing up because of the fact that 
uh, she stated that black men were never really into it. They said she was too skinny. They said she was too articulate and, and like wasn't street enough and all that stuff. So she's caught in flack for that too. So this is another reason why she decided to date outside of her community. So there's different reasons and there's different layers as to why a lot of these people date outside of their community. And they shouldn't be judged for it because if you just take a moment and look at the context behind the situation and figure out why they decided to date out of their community – then you have to acknowledge and understand that they weren't really the chosen ones to begin with. So I think people should just love who they want to love. And as far as the spectrum of black nerdism goes, I think we need to change the narrative as far as what blackness means, uh, uh, pardon me, what blackness means uh, within a North American context. It shouldn't just be my pants are hanging, sagging low, or, you know, I got a baby mama and I'm a drug dealer, I'm a hustler, or I'm a baddie on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. No, blackness should be how you want to define it as an individual. So if you def define blackness as, you know, being proficient within the arts, uh, blackness as being, you know, um, socially conscious within your community, blackness as not being afraid to to fall in love with animation or anything of the sort like that. Whatever your individual definition of blackness is, you should live it to the fullest and you shouldn't have anyone dictate to you what blackness means. Because if anyone dares calls you dare calls you whitewash for being articulate, for having uh for being for being cultural in terms of having an appreciation for cultures outside of your own, uh for choosing to uh to to worship a religion that isn't that isn't familiar with the black context, so to speak. Anything that deviates away from the quote-unquote black norm, you should not be afraid to embrace if that is what you truly have a passion for. And I think that really goes into context with the whole black nerdism movement, if you if you will, so to speak. At the end of the day, like I'm someone who identifies as someone who's had nerdy tendencies or someone who really likes nerdy things, et cetera, et cetera. I'm a nerd at heart, and like I've never been one shy away from it. Maybe a little bit here and there in high school because at the end of the day, you're still trying to find your footing. You're still trying to fit in and what have you. But outside of that, like how many times have I talked about Black Panther on my radio show? I'm about to do a review on Infinity War in the, on, the next, on the next segment block, so go figure. At the end of the day, you should embrace who you are, and and if black nerds are able to find each other, you know, then great, you know what I mean? But if not, and you decide to date outside your community, that's totally fine as well. Just don't let anyone dictate your future and your destiny, because that is your life to live, and no one has the right to judge you to be the judge, jury, and executioner of that. And if they are, then they have another thing coming to them, because at the end of the day, they need to watch what's happening on their end rather than what's happening on your end. And they're probably just jealous of the fact that you're happy to live and love freely like the way you do. So keep doing you. Don't let those people get in your way. And I guarantee we are going to talk about all these people who are questioning what it means to be black and pro-blackness and not being able to be pro-black while dating outside of your community. I'm going to get to that later on in the show. Cough, cough, winks of the week. Just to let you know. But nonetheless, stick to those words and you'll do just fine. Shout out to all my black nerds, both male and female. I see y'all. I see y'all. Be true to yourself, man. I always respect the people who are true to themselves. Live your truth. But what do you guys think of that situation, man? 
Um, hit me up on social media. Feel free to comment uh, below once I post this on YouTube. But yeah, hit me in the comments and just message me as well. Hit me up on all uh, on all platforms at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. Coming up after the break, we are going to do a review of Avengers: Infinity War. So. Keep it locked. I got my man Nathan Baya with this record called System, and we're going to play that. So we'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. Uh, shout out to my man Nathan Baya. That was his record, record entitled System. So shout out to my man Nathan Baya. You already know. Now, before we get into the Infinity War movie review, I just want to make one point that I forgot to make during my during my uh, segment about you know blackness and what have you when it comes to black nerdism and what have you. Um, here's the thing that people need to understand as well, in case if there's anybody listening who's on the outside looking in, and even for people within the black community as well that they may or may not have noticed, but I'm sure they've noticed. Um, when it comes to blackness, you know, being a black nerd versus being a white nerd. Growing up, like in your adolescence, I would say, even in your in your adult years. But let's just start with the adolescence. In your adolescent years, pardon me. Let's say a white person gets teased for being a nerd, for example, right? If that happens, then that's all it is. They're just being teased for being a nerd. That's all that it is. That's all it comes down to. But when a black person's being teased for being a nerd their entire black identity gets stripped away from them because of the construct that we have when it comes to black culture and what it means to be black and what the status quo is of being black. So when you're calling a black person nerd, usually what follows up with that is, oh, why do you like that white shit for? Oh, you're whitewashed for watching Dragon Ball Z or something like that. Anything that's outside the black paradigm is considered whiteness or whitewash or whatever. So I think that's another thing that people really need to keep in mind as to the reasons why some black people who fit into that nerd category, whether it be male or female, tend to date outside of their community because the people inside the community, not all of them, but by and large, like a, a at least a handful of them that, that warps and alters their, their mentality, says to them that you're not black enough to be in our community because you're doing things outside of our community that deems you as non-black. Do you, know how, do you know how crazy and destructive that sounds? And you wonder why people like Zoe Zaldana or Donald Glover choose to date outside the race because they weren't accepted by people within their own race to begin with in the first place. And that's a sad thing. So that's another thing I just wanted to mention that I forgot to mention during that entire spiel just because there's so much to cover with that. But nonetheless, we're going to keep things moving, man. Um, so last week I wanted to do a review on Infinity War while it was still fresh in my mind. Um, I haven't watched it since I watched it the first time almost two weeks ago. But it's still pretty fresh in my mind nonetheless. I got some bullet points that I wrote down nonetheless. So, once again, if you have not seen this film, spoilers ahead. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Don't say I didn't warn you. Let's get into it. So, first and foremost, Avengers Infinity War is basically the 10-year-long love letter that Marvel Studios has written to its fans over the years. For all the people who've been sticking around since Iron Man from 2008 up until now, this is our love letter from them to us. Now, this does not pace itself like any other regular movie. This movie is basically like a two-and-a-half, almost two-hour and 40-minute comic book come to life. Any big major event comic book that you've ever read, whether it be Infinity Gauntlet or Infinity or or Injustice or whatever the case may be, this is it. 
this is it right here. It plays out like a comic book. From the opening of the film, shit gets real. Thor's spaceship is, is wrecked. You see bodies all over the place. Thor is being gripped up by Thanos. Loki is trying to stall some time. And then the Hulk comes through and tries to throw hands. And speaking of which, I'll, I'll get to Hulk later on, but it was a good opening fight. But anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself right now. I'm getting ahead of myself. Basically, this movie pulls no punches, all right? Like, it gets into the action immediately, and I've and these are some of the best action scenes I've ever seen in a comic book movie and I've ever seen overall. It literally felt like I was watching a Saturday morning car- cartoon come to life, and it was amazing. I couldn't ask for anything more. Now, in regards to the overall plot of the film, Thanos is basically the main character, and he had to be because this is someone that Marvel has been building up for the last six years in particular now. And we've heard all this hype about what he can do with the Infinity Gauntlet once he has all the stones in place. And this movie is essentially somewhat of a heist film. He spends the entire movie acquiring all of the Infinity Stones. Now, the interesting thing is when the movie starts off, he already has one of the Infinity Stones in his gauntlet, and that was the Power Stone. And he acquired the Power Stone from Xandar. Now, we don't see how that happened, but that that might play out in Avengers 4 next year. Or we might see something in the Captain Marvel movie where it might allude to that. We don't know yet. But anyways, he starts off with that with that stone. And then throughout the entire movie, he's going from planet to planet, acquiring all the other different stones so that he can make the Infinity Gauntlet whole. Now, what I like about this movie is that he is a villain who views himself as a hero of sorts. And that's the type of villain that you want to have in your film because Marvel... Uh, Marvel Studios in particular has been criticized heavily for having quote-unquote weak villains, but I feel like they've done a pretty admirable job with their villains as of late. So Eagle the Living Planet was their best villain creatively in a sense because he was a living planet. Like, that's pretty uncommon in a film. You know what I mean? So, f- from the creative aspect, that I thought that I thought that he was great in that, in that regard. Then they had Hela in uh thor ragnarok who was one of the better villains i would say like yeah she kind of wanted the typical trope of ruling over a nation or destroying a nation or whatever the case may be but it showed that she had somewhat some sort of justification in her conquest because she was the sister that thor never knew and her and odin used to rule plants left right and center but then when odin had to change her heart he decided to lock her away, you know, and her eyes unjustly. So she has a reason to gripe because she was the rightful heir to the throne of Asgard, but that was taken away from her, much like in the same sense that the throne of uh, Wakanda was taken away from Killmonger, or potentially at least. He was the next in line, but he at least had a shot in it because he had royal blood. And then you had uh, Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming, who was one of my personal favorite villains because he's the blue-collar, hardworking middle class uh middle to lower class citizen who felt like he was um wronged by Tony Stark and Stark uh Stark Technology or uh Stark Tech Industries because of the fact that they basically wrapped up the project that him and his guys were working on. He's an independent contractor and he got these guys to work for him and he's and he's responsible for their pay for putting food on their tables and when they got taken away from him he just got. He decides to take action into his own hands and decides to cut the middleman out and says "f you" to the big dogs up ahead in Capitol Hill, or whatever the case may be. So he decided to take that that front for his own end. And then you had 
Killmonger and Black Panther, which we explained just now briefly, that he was wronged of his right to take the throne. His dad was killed by his own uncle, and he was left for dead by himself in Oakland where he had to fend for himself. And then he got to the point where he was at, at as an adult, essentially. So lately, like 2017 especially, ever since then, they've had some really good villains. Even in 2016, you could debate that Baron Zemo, or I think his name's just Zemo in, in uh, Captain America Civil War, he was a good villain as well because he didn't use brawn to try and defeat the heroes. He used his brains and his intellect. He basically said, you know what, let me do what someone... Except with the exception of, of, of Loki in the first Avengers film, let me do what no one has really done before. Let me put pit the Avengers against one another and let them implode from the inside. You know, so I like what they've been doing with the villains, and they're on a hot streak right now. And Thanos is the latest example of that, so I love it. Now, all the characters, like there are so many characters in this film. Every character. Every main character, I should say, that you've seen from Iron Man up until now is in this film. And they're featured as much as possibly as they possibly can be. Because there's so many characters and you have to give them a certain amount of dialogue to work with and what have you. But the good thing about it is the fact that because they've already featured in other films, you don't have to explain their arc. You don't have to explain their back, their backstory or anything like that because they've already appeared in previous films. And that's the beauty of it. This is why that this film is just for the Marvel heads or if you've done your research at the very least beforehand. So that's what I like about it. Um, and what I also like about it is the grouping and the placing of these characters. So, for example, you have the comedic characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor in one group. And then you have the very quippy characters, the ones who are very uh, smart-alecky and, and, and very brash of their words, like Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Peter Quill, and another group. And then you have the more serious and stoic characters in a group like Captain America, Black Panther, uh, uh, the Winter Soldier, etc., etc. You have those guys in a group. And sometimes they may intertwine with one another as well. So the placing of all these characters is very strategic because it keeps everything balanced and it keeps it consistent as well. So that's why I like about it. And I love the fact that they got different elements from different uh, from different comic books as well. Like they really followed Thanos con uh, the Thanos quest from the early 90s. They also got the Infinity storyline from the uh, early 2010s. Uh, so that's how they got the Black Order in hand, mi minus one one member, but it didn't really matter at the end of the day. Uh, the Black Order, they are ruthless as hell. Um, you had people who did not give a damn. Like, they were willing to take your life if it meant getting that stone. And, I, and that's the attitude that I loved with the Black Order, especially when it came to Ebony Ma. This guy gave you a eulogy before you died. This guy basically said and walked up and said, you are now about to be killed by Thanos. Do not fear death. Do not be frightened, for your death is a noble sacrifice. This guy is giving your eulogy before you die. How rude and ruthless is that? Don't even kill me right now. I loved it. Everything was, was good about it. Um... Now, here are some of the flaws that I have with the film, and these are just minor nitpicks. It doesn't really take away from the overall arch of the film. Um, I did not like the fact that Vision was weak. Vision was weak. Vision is supposed to be one of the strongest, if not the strongest, member of the Avengers because of the fact that he's made out of vibranium, and he has these near-cosmic powers. And on top of that, he has an Infinity Stone lodged in his forehead. The minute this guy gets stabbed in the abdomen in, like, the early portion of the film, he's down for the count. Like, he does not recover from that at all. Like, he's basically dead weight at this point. 
and he doesn't do anything that's worth a damn of helping out his teammates. Like, he is just a liability at this point, and it's so weird because in the other movies he's been in thus far, like, he's been a key component. Like, he killed Ultron. He killed Ultron. Like, what are we talking about? And also, he was the difference maker uh, in Civil War when it, when it came to Team Stark versus Team Cap. Like, he was the difference maker in that battle. Had it not been for him, Team Cap, all the members of Team Cap would have gone that Quinjet and they would, all would have gone to Siberia. So to see him weakened, it, it was kind of, I, I wasn't expecting it, but I didn't like it either. Um, also, uh, you had certain characters like, uh, like the Hulk, who you were kind of expecting to be one of the biggest pivotal points in the film because of the fact that he's the Hulk. But he gets taken out immediately, immediately. Now, that one for me is a catch-22 because of the fact that on one end, it sucks because this is the big superhero team-up that you've been waiting on for years. But at the same time, by him getting knocked out by Thanos so early in the film, it shows you how strong of a threat Thanos is with just one Infinity Stone, let alone the entire gauntlet filled with it. So it, it sells him as this big threat. Like, we knew he was a big threat through all the promos and what have you, but we had to know for sure how big of a threat that he was. And the fact that he was able to knock out the Hulk of all people, someone who's never really been knocked out before, minus the one time with the Hulkbuster, but it took all of that for him to get him knocked out, that it shows you that this guy is a problem and that everyone... Every single member of the Avengers has to be prepared. Another thing that I didn't really like with the film, and mind you, just a minor nitpick, is that, yes, there are, there's a huge ensemble of characters that you need to tell and evaluate their stories. But at the same time, there are certain characters that we wanted to see just a little bit more of. Like, I felt like we didn't really get to see that much of Cap. And it's kind of surprising because he's one of the more foundational members of the Avengers. And he wasn't in it for that long, if you really think about it. He had some good scenes when he was in it, but he wasn't really in it for that long, I found. Also, Black Panther, he wasn't in it for that long either. And yes, I know I'm a Black Panther stan, sue me. But I feel like he wasn't really in it for that long as well, even though a big portion of the film takes place in Wakanda, especially the, the final act of the film. Um, but again, mind you, I think the one thing to keep into context is the fact that while this film was being filmed, Black Panther, the solo film, was also being filmed as well. So you can only have so much dialogue in it and what have you. So I'm not too mad at that. It's a minor nitpick, but me being a Black Panther stan, I would have loved to have seen that as well. Um, but at the end of the day, those are just the minor flaws that I had with the film. Now, the final part of him, of Thanos snapping the fingers, I mean, before he did it, the man said, you should have gone for the head when he got stabbed in the chest with the Stormbreaker axe that Thor had. Uh, wow. When he snapped those fingers and people started fading away, I was like, wow, they actually went for it. They actually went for it. And, you know, in the moment when you're watching the movie, you're freaking out with some characters fading away. Like when Bucky faded away, I was like, oh, that can't be good. And then other people started fading away. Like some members of the Jabari tribe started fading away. And I was looking at Umbaku. I was like, yo, not Umbaku. Not Umbaku. But then he didn't fade away. I'm like, okay, thank God. Thank God. And then Panther, when he walks up to Okoye and said, hey, this is no place to die. And then he fades away. I thought that was Okoye fading away, but it was actually Panther. So I was like, no, we just got you. So that, that kind of got me in the moment. But it's all good because we know he's going to get a second and third movie. So I'm not even worried. But then when Spider-Man faded away, oh, man, the way he went out as well. Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. And he's like, Tony, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to die. And this is coming from a 16-year-old, right? Like, he's never been in this type of environment before. He's young. He has his whole life to live for. 
So it's just like you can understand the fear and the trepidation that's coming over his body and over his face. So I can't blame him for, for feeling that scared. So it, it, it was kind of a sad moment. But, hey, man, he just added to the gravitas of the entire situation. Um, and then at the end, at the very end, at the end credits scene, uh, you see Nick Fury and Maria Maria Hill, uh, the member of Shield or former member of Shield, I should say, um, driving, and then there's a car accident, and then everywhere they see is chaos. People are fading away. You see helicopters crashing into buildings, and then Maria fades away as well. And then uh, what's his name? Fury gets out his pager, a pager, and then he starts to feel himself fading away. He's just like mother, and then it just cuts out, and then. Once you see the pager drop to the ground, it zooms in on the pager, and you see the symbol of Captain Marvel. So you know she's going to play a pivotal role in potentially reviving all of these characters and all the people who are fading away because of the Infinity Gauntlet snap. So at the end of the day, it was a good movie. It was a really good uh, cliffhanger, and I definitely need to see it again because that movie was bomb. Um, I definitely recommend you go see it. If you are an avid Marvel fan or if you're just a fan of just action movies in general. But if you haven't seen any of these films, there's two things you can do. The hard way is to watch every single film, you know, in in chronological order or just in order of when it came out, basically. Or watch a YouTube video that explains all the movies beforehand in 15 to 20 minutes. That's like a cheat sheet for you, basically. If you want to get caught up on what's happening second option is probably the, the quickest option that way you can go to theaters watch the film and you know be a part of the conversation like everyone else but if you're just going into a blind you're probably not going to like the film or you're probably going to be confused or whatever the case may be so make sure you do one of those two things if anything overall i love the film and i'm definitely going to see it again don't know when but i'm definitely going to see it um go see it definitely go see it what do you guys think of the movie let me know hit me up in the comment section and follow me on social media at CC and share your thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are reaching the overtime edition of Cool Radio, which is all good. And now that brings us, pardon me. Had to get some water in there. That brings us to our final segment of the evening. And with that being said, <clears throat> who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. This week's Wankster of the Week goes to every single person, man or woman, who basically stated that Childish Gambino or any other black person for that matter cannot be pro-black and date outside your community at the same time. I'm giving you people the wankster. I don't care if you're a man. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. You guys are getting that wankster for that if you fit into that category. Now, I did mention earlier in the show that I would talk a little bit more in detail about that aspect of the Childish Gambino story. And this is what I was alluding to. So, again, going back to that article um, or that posting on social media, whatever the case may be, a lot of people were claiming that Childish Gambino was a sellout or a contradiction because of the fact that even though he put out a super woke record like uh, This is America, that at the same time he's dating a white woman and for some reason you're not allowed to do that. Now, I find that funny because at the end of the day, my personal belief, and I think a lot of people should follow suit with this belief as well, your socio-political beliefs... And your romantic interests 
should not have to go hand in hand. They are completely separate. They should be separate. Your romantic interest does not rely heavily upon what your beliefs are as far as how to uplift the black community. That has nothing to do with it. Having to uplift the black community in terms of, of, of social and financial structure has nothing to do with whether or not you're interested in Becky or Taylor or, or whatever or whomever. That, has, that should have nothing to do with it at all. So let's get that out of the way first and foremost. Secondly, a lot of the people who are saying this have no idea of the amount of black leaders that we've had, past and present, who are dating outside of their community. The, one of the biggest ones, one of the most historical ones, is the great actor known as Sidney Poitier. Okay? Now, Sidney Poitier has done so much for the black community. Let me, let me give you a rogues gallery of things that he's done for the black community. So he has sent over 1,000 black students to college and university. He has funded so much money into MLK Foundations and the Civil Rights era during the 60s while he was a prominent actor in Hollywood. And he has built tons of homes for uh, under underprivileged families in his neighborhood home of the Bahamas. All the meanwhile, being married to a white woman. All right. Morgan Freeman is another example of another black actor within the spectrum of black entertainment who has done plenty of things for the black community. All the meanwhile, being with a white woman or just being with a woman outside of his community in general. And there are so many people who are the products of biracial relationships who are what you would consider woke. I mean, should we go down the names right now? We have Alicia Keys, who's always been an advocate for, for black rights issues. We have, pardon me, we have uh, Colin Kaepernick, who has always been super woke on issues. I mean, his parents are white. Like, his adopted parents are white. We all know he's half black, half white. But his parents, his adoptive parents are white. Yet he's super woke. As you guys have seen, he took a knee for the NFL and thus blackballing himself from the NFL altogether because of that. And, of course, the first ever black president, Barack Obama. And, we, and we're quick to forget that he's half black, half white. And he was super invested in so many issues that were happening within America as well as within Chicago. Even before he became the president of Chicago, he was, or sorry, the president of the United States, pardon me. He was the senator of Illinois. Like, what are we talking about, people? This is why I don't understand. Like, we have all these influential black leaders who are either the product of interracial relationships or they are themselves in interracial relationships who have done so much for the black community. Yet, for whatever reason, people want to denigrate the new ones coming up because of the fact that they're with somebody outside the race or they're with somebody who is light-skinned. You look at Childish Gambino. You look at... Um, you look at Zoe Zaldana, who I mentioned earlier. Hell, Kendrick Lamar. Are you kidding me? Kendrick Lamar. This man was is currently with a, a, a woman who I think she's either she's half black and half Latina, but she's lighter skinned. But people were coming for his throat three years ago. That is mind boggling. She's still black, but because she's light skinned, that's a problem. You know what the joke is, though? And here's the joke. So. There have been both black men and black women who have criticized the following people who I have mentioned. But at the same time, nobody is criticizing the woman who is about to get married to Prince Henry in a week or two. But the joke is, if that same woman were getting married to Idris Elba 
or Denzel Washington or anything of the sort, then the heat would be on Idris Elba or Denzel Washington because of the fact that they're dating somebody who's light-skinned or who's mulatto or who was racially ambiguous. Well, because this woman is dating Prince Henry, you know, someone who is of a monarchy status, the, the, the reaction is quite the opposite. And it boggles my mind whenever these conversations arise because these people have selective memory and also they have selective biases when it comes to this topic. So at the end of the day, all those people who I have just mentioned who are in interracial relationships and those people who are judging them for that, yet they can't even realize the fact that the people who came before them are in, interracial, are in interracial relationships and have done so much for the black community, you guys are the wanks of the week. Now, if you're not one for interracial dating, then that's fine. But don't question somebody's blackness or level of blackness because of the fact that they are in an interracial relationship. At the end of the day, they are stuck true to their merit about supporting the black community and doing what they can in order to benefit the black community, although meanwhile dating somebody who's outside the race. If anything, that provides more of an opportunity to spread that consciousness to other people outside of our community and in thus them becoming allies of our community, of our struggle, of our pain, and of our plight. Because at the end of the day, it's one thing for a black person to be socially conscious. If anything, it's expected of them to be socially conscious. But it's another, it's another side of the coin when you're able to relate that same message to somebody who's outside of our community and thus be making them more aware of what's happening and them becoming an ally in the process because we're always pining for other people to recognize what we go through and for them to be allies. But then when that happens, sometimes we're very selective of who can be an ally and who can't be an ally, which is at the same time very flawed logic if you ask me. Very flawed to say the least, very flawed. And it's funny because these people who are judging Zoe Zaldana, who are judging Kendrick Lamar, who are judging Childish Gambino for either being in interracial relationships or being in a relationship with a person who has a lighter pigmentation. Some of these same people are the same people who are advocating for other entertainers like R. Kelly, like Bill Cosby, like Kanye West. And they're saying that, oh, well, these guys are mentally ill or they're misunderstood or the man is out to get them because, you know, he's such a strong, positive influence in the black community and he wanted to buy and own NBC. You guys can give those people who have done wrong and, or who have said wrong the benefit of the doubt, yet you have a problem with the dating preference of someone like a Gambino, someone like a Zoe Zaldana, who has decided to date outside of their community, but all at the same time still maintain their pro-blackness. Yet at the same time, the irony is that Bill Cosby has been known for or has been accused of raping other white women and that Kanye West married a Kardashian, who last I checked was not black. But you're giving those guys a pass. But then these guys, the ceremonious, get the hell out of here. Please, take 1,015 seats while you're at it. You guys are getting the wanks of the week. Do you deserve it? Of course you do. I'm going to drop it on you guys just like this. Yeah, I will never learn sometimes. 
But nonetheless, that is tonight's show, people. I thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, next week, we have special guest Eva Rose in studio. So we'll be talking to her about her uh, content creation and what have you. And we'll have a whole bunch of other things to get into as we go and move into the summer season as well. Um, as you already know, you can catch me on Twitter at DM underscore cool. Or you can catch me on all social media platforms at Cool Radio CC. And once again, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media Reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. Cool.